Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this service, we hope to see you this Sunday at either 8.45 a.m. for our praise and worship service or 11 a.m. for our traditional service. Now, here's this week's message. Before I was a pastor, I worked in the car wash, car wash industry for, for many years. And uh, to be honest, I didn't really like, uh, well, meeting new people. Because without a doubt, every single time, this is how it goes. And if you're a guy, and, and maybe if you're a girl too, I know, especially with guys, the conversations always start off like this. It's, they say, hi, I'm so-and-so. And, you know, I say, hi, I'm Brian. And the next question, 100% of the time, is this. So what do you do for a living? And so every time, I would say, well, I'm a, I'm a car wash manager. And their face would drop. You could tell they felt bad for me, like I gave up in life. Like I must have been a felon or, or something else. And no offense to anybody who's had any of those things. But every time they'd look up on me, like, they'd just be like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And then every time, I'm telling you without a doubt, you'd see this glimmer of hope. They would go, do you own it? <laughs> and I'd say, no. I work for somebody, just their car wash manager. And then, and then it would get awkward. You could tell they were, like, embarrassed for me. And they just didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. And then I'd start justifying it, talking about, well, no, no, it's a big one. Like we have a Lou Bay and a Detail Bay. And do you know what our sales is? I mean, do you know how many employees I manage? Like I would start justifying why I worked, where I worked, and why it was, well, important. You see, I thought who I was was tied to my, my job. And I thought what I did made me important and significant in this world. Now, before you start judging my issues and start analyzing me too much, ladies, for instance, how many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you will never leave the house without makeup? You don't have to raise your hands. But yet your family sees you without makeup all the time, and you are that worried about what other people think so you need to make sure you look good. But yet to your husband, you're like, well, you're stuck, so. <laughs> and gentlemen, men, how many times have you completely wasted money on something wanting to look good and impress people? Big tires, big rims, boats, cars. I've never done any of this, by the way. All right, so we all have things. We can all find ourselves doing things to want people to think we're significant to want to impress them, to want them to like us. And we don't know them, and a lot of times we don't like them, but we still want them to be impressed by us. All right, we think, well, how we look, well, that, well, that makes me important. Or how much money I have, well, you know, that makes me significant. Oh, we think, well, if, if other people like me and, and their opinions, then I'm valuable, then I'm, in, well, I'm important. We can all. We can all easily find ourselves trying to get our purpose and our value and our identity from things that don't really matter. And here's the deal. All of us struggle with this. This is common to every single one of us. And some of us, we're in the stage of life where we're thinking about the legacy, right? We're thinking about how people are going to remember us when we're gone. Some of us are in mid-career. We realize all those dreams and hopes that we had. None of them are going to happen, right? And we're still trying to figure out now, how am I important? Now, what does life mean? How, how can I get significance? And some of us are young and 
You think you're going to make a difference in the world, but what I want you to hear this morning and the key belief we're going to talk about is that I am, and I hope you believe this, I am significant because of my position as a child of God. I believe I am significant. Hey, let's say this together, okay? We're going to do that today. Say, I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. You see, our identity isn't found in things. Our identity isn't found in titles. Our identity isn't or shouldn't be found in anything other than Jesus Christ. And that belief and that thing, that core belief, if it, if it really penetrates your heart, it can have the potential to change your life. It can have the potential to free you from so many things that want to enslave you. It can free you from living for other people. It can free you from living for them and getting so caught up with what they think and how they feel and how they view you. It can free you from all of that so you can boldly walk for the Lord. So this morning, I just want to take a look at a couple of passages this morning. We might even finish early. What are the chances of that happening, you think? All right. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8, verse 14. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay. It's going to be back here on the screen. And while you're turning there, I just want to talk to you about what's going on in Romans so far. Um, quickly, Paul has introduced the universal sin problem and the effectiveness of Christ and how he has dealt with this sin problem. He explains that through faith in Christ, we have been made right with God. That's a word we use is justified. We've been made right with God, and we now have peace with God. And he's told us that God's love has been poured out to us and in our hearts through his Holy Spirit, which each and every one of us have received. Which means that if you are a believer in Christ, if you're a Christian, if, if you've given your life to him, we believe that he has given us the Holy Spirit who resides in us, and the Holy Spirit guides us in this life. And so he says this in Romans 8, go back to Romans 8, um, excuse me, Romans 8, 1. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And I just want you to kind of think about there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. How many of us walk around feeling condemned? How many of us walking around feeling condemned about what other people think? And that, that's kind of the area we're in. How many of us feel condemned because we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we have a job like I did for forever that people aren't going to be impressed with? How many of us walk around with this, with this condemnation attitude like, oh, man, I just wish something were different? Where Paul says, look, there's no condemnation in Christ. And the Spirit gives you life, has set you free. So all of you, all of us who've given your life, who've, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you should receive the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Because of that, I want to look at Romans 14, I mean, excuse me, Romans 8, 14, and we're going to start there and just look at a couple of points we're going to bring up. It says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Let me go ahead and just read the whole thing, and then we'll go ahead and walk through it. I'm changing up on myself. Romans 8, 14. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are, excuse me, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So I just want to look at these couple of verses. I just want to pull out a couple of things, things I hope you know. If you don't, I'm glad you're here this morning, but things I want to get past your knowledge and I want you to kind of feel today because this needs to really hit you at the court, really needs to be part of who you are. Because we're talking about identity, which is much more than just a belief. It's about how you view yourself and really how God views you. So in this Romans 8, 14, we see that you, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. All right, he says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, the Bible tells us at the very beginning that all human beings are valuable. Every single human being is valuable because they are made in the image of God. Doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what sex, all people are valuable. But those who have given their life to Jesus Christ are now children of God. They are a part of his family. And if he is our father and we are his children, that means you are loved by God. Those of you who are children or have had children, is everybody here at least somebody's child or have had, had children? That works that way, right? I'm pretty sure that's a universal thing. Okay, yeah. So I never really understood the love of God. And I know not all of us, you know, have had kids, but I'm telling you, for me personally, I never understood what God's love meant until I had kids. And I realized before they were even born, I loved them. While they were cooking, I loved them. When they came out, I loved them. Now that they're growing older, I most of the time still love them. But being a child means my children have access to me more than anybody else. Do you know it doesn't matter what your position is or what your position out there? It doesn't matter who you are. My children have more access to me than you do. Don't your children have more access to you than anybody else in this world? Don't you want to hear from them? Don't you get excited to talk to them? That is how God views us. We are loved by our father. Because number two... It says, you have, been do- you have been adopted. Verse 15 says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. You see adoption here, what Paul's talking about, grants full rights and privileges into the family. It, it's, it's not that you kind of have the birth and you come the ab- adopted. Once you're adopted, you have full rights and responsibility as a child, which means God is for you. Did you know that God cares about you? Did you know he loves you? Did you know that if you've been adopted, a a child who needs to be adopted can't adopt themselves. They can't do anything for it. The parents have to come and do it for them and bring them on. That's the idea is that you can't do anything, but God has done it for you. He has brought you into his family. And he's loved you so much. He loves us so much that he's designed a way for all of us to be a part of this adopted family. Come on, guys. See, number three, this means that you have a father. He says in verse 15b and 16, he says, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And that word... 
Abba is like a term of endearment. It means like daddy. It, it, it's, he's not this distant father out there. Now, some of you, maybe when you hear the idea of father, you're like, well, if God's anything like my father, then. I, I don't want you to think that. Your earthly father, I hope, and, and I wish he would have set a great example for some of you. If not, just understand that everything you want a father to be, everything you think a father should have been, God is so much better than that. And so he's not some distant, unloving father. He's a personal father that you can say daddy to. And he's proud of you. Did you know God's proud? Have you ever thought about God being proud of you? If you have children, you have. God is proud of you. And I know we have a hard time accepting that because we're comparing ourselves to everyone else, aren't we? If we were to be honest, we're looking around going, I'm not as good as them or... Well, I'm better than them, so who? Oh, but look at what they. You ever? Never mind, I'm not going to ask that question. Look at this. I want to show you this. Look what my daughter made me. See this? Do you know how proud I am of this? You're like, Brian, look, listen. I will listen to you. This is her poem to me. My little daughter. I will listen to you. She doesn't always. But, anyways, we're going to move on. I listen to you. I like you. You are special to me. You are cool. My daughter thinks I'm cool. You know what I mean? That excites me. You are cool. It's spelled C-L-W, but I'm good. You are handsome. You are sweet. I love you, babe. I call Jessica babe all the time. That's where she gets that. I am not comparing her work to anybody else. You may say, well, Brian, look at the Mona Lisa. I'd be like, that is garbage compared to what my daughter did for me. You can read me any poem in the world, and it will not be as awesome as that. Why? Because I'm her daddy, and I'm proud of her, and I love her. And what would it do for you if you realized that God is proud of you, and that God loves you? And that God's not comparing your work of art to anybody else's work of art. That God is looking at what you do and what you're working through and how you're going. He's going, man, that is good. God is proud of you. He loves you. Before you've done anything, he formed you and created you. Just embrace that God is proud of you. Some of us, you know, we crave that, don't we? No, we didn't grow up people telling us that we were good. You didn't grow up here and that people are proud of you. Just know that God is saying, I'm proud of you. Number four, we see that we, you, are an heir of God. Because we have the security in him. Listen, it says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. We're heirs of God. We have an inheritance waiting for us from God. You are secure in Christ. And inheritances are usually given after somebody dies, right? Well, God's not going to die, is he? Yeah, so something else is this idea of security, this idea of our privilege and our position as children of God, meaning there is something far greater waiting for you in eternity that you'll ever have here 
that you'll ever earn here. You are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Christ is like your older brother. Start thinking through that. And that all that it is, you're going to be a part of what God has. And listen, what this means is you cannot be elevated to any position higher than the one that Christ has given you. You're a son or daughter of God. Do you think that manager title can touch that? Because right, we get our identity from those titles, don't we? From those things. But you've already been elevated because of Christ to a position higher than you can ever gain. Now, Paul doesn't sugarcoat it. He tells us that those who are led by the Spirit will inevitably suffer. I mean, you probably know this. The more you, the, the, the Spirit's going to draw you closer to God. It's going to have you act more like Jesus Christ. You're going to live a life that's honoring to him that will probably other people aren't going to understand. I remember the first time when I really started to get serious about tithing, I had this money in my wallet. I didn't have a bank account. But he's like, what are you doing with all that money? It wasn't that much. But what do you, I was like, well, it's my tithe. He's like, what, a, what do you mean a tithe? I was like, well, I'm going to, it's the money I got to set aside. I'm, I'm giving back to the church. He said, do what? He said, why don't you give it to me? I can find good uses for it. And so the idea of giving my money back to him was so foreign and so strange, but, you know, it's this idea of stewardship, which isn't our topic, but it seemed very weird to him. But this idea of suffering, if we share in his sufferings, we're going to share in his glory, because as Christians, you know, Paul doesn't sure go to, we're going to go through sufferings. I mean, look at how people treated Jesus. It's just because you're having a hard time, or just because people don't like you, just because things are challenged, doesn't, doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, doesn't mean he's not proud of you. Just means that, that that's part of this, that we will go through suffering in this world. And Paul tells us in advance, hey, it's not going to be easy, but just, just wait. It's kind of like what you can do now that you're older. All of us are at different life stages. But when you get a little bit older, you can look at somebody a little bit younger than you, and you can see problems coming before they can. Are you following me? Like you can look at the decisions they're making, and you can go like, that's not going to turn out well. You try to give them wisdom, you try to give advice, like, hey, you know, like, go to school, go to college. I know it's hard, I know it's terrible, I know life is so hard at, at 16, 17, I know it's rough. But go, do it anyways, because there's going to be something better for you later. Right, you're older, you tell them, hey, go ahead and stick it out, because it's going to pay off later. That's what Paul's doing, he's like, look, you're going to go through hardships. He's getting beaten, he's getting thrown in prison. You're, you're going to go through these difficulties, but there's something better waiting for you. Stay the course, Paul says, because we are heirs of God. We have security in God. Something better is waiting for us. So Paul says, you are a child of God, and he loves you. You've been adopted into his family, and he cares for you. You have a heavenly daddy who is proud of you, and you are an heir of God and find security in him. You are significant because you are a child of God through Jesus Christ. And when your identity is rooted in Christ and not your title, not your career, not your education, not your wealth, not your relationships, not that boy, especially not that boy, not that girl. When your identity isn't rooted in all those things, it's then and only then you can walk boldly for the Lord. Because God has communicated to us, look, that title what I've given you and who you are in me is so much higher than anything you can earn here. That wealth you have, you're just a manager. 
The Bible's very clear. God gives some more to others and less to others. We don't exactly know why, but he does. And we are just managers of what he's given us. You're not significant because the way you look or your weight. How many of us don't raise your hand? How many of us, I'll raise my hand, have tried to kill themselves to lose weight? Thinking it's going to do something better for us or make us more important. You know God didn't make mistakes when he created you? Now, I've seen the possum. You ever seen a possum? I think he might have made one mistake, okay? But other than that, he doesn't make mistakes. And so some of us, hey, this weight thing or this look thing or this makeup thing or this surge, like we are so consumed with all of this thinking it makes us important. You're already important. You're not significant because your career. All of us have been given the same career by God to make disciples, to pursue intimacy with him, reach others for Christ, bring them up in Christ. Every one of us have the same job. And do you know God will hold you accountable for your disciple-making, not if you grow your company? That company, he, he's not impressed with. I mean, he's proud of you, but understand, the job we've been given is to reach people for him, to become more like Christ, and in return, reach other people for him. You are significant because of your position as a child of God. So what does this mean? What are the implications for each and every one of us? Again, like I said, when you own this and you believe this, you can walk unapologetically and boldly for Jesus Christ. You see, because Paul says, remember in 8.15, he said that we no longer have to live in what? Do you remember? Fear. So we no longer have to live in fear. Fear is a powerful emotion. Will we agree on that? I heard one leader say, he said, tell me what you love and what you f fear, and I can get you to do anything I want. And after he said that, it really bothered me, but I thought about it, and he's right. Those are the two most powerful emotions we have, and the Bible's pretty clear about where we should direct both our love and fear. It's to whom? To God, right? There's a reason for that. And so these two things are such a big deal. But I, Paul, I don't believe, is telling us to stop having fear altogether, right? Because like, well, it's a healthy fear to be afraid of alligators, is it not? Right, yeah, we have alligators, we have bears. I'm afraid of both of those things. So, so that's a good, healthy fear. What I believe Paul's getting at is this fear that's associated to our identity. I believe that's why he's talking so much about who we are, our position now. Since we're not slaves to the sin anymore, we're not living in that, is that something's new and that we're children of God. And when we embrace this, when we embrace this, we can let go of all those fears because did you know all of us have fears and insecurities? Did you know it's not just you? That every single one of us have them. Even the people who are blessed with good looks and good skin and don't deal with weight issues. I mean, all of us. I acted like that was me, right? Everything I just said was bumped into me. It's not, I promise. All of us have issues. And I want to talk about a couple of them. Look, do you know that all of us fear that we're not good enough or that our past is too complicated? Did you know it's not just you? All of us fear that we're not good enough or that our past is too complicated? See, Paul helps us out with this in Romans 3, 23. It's not up here, okay? There it is. For all have what? So hold on. Is all, are all of us a little messed up? You're like, 
all the wives are like, yes, absolutely, looking at their husbands, every single one of them. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, that's, that's what's so amazing about the gospel is it says that all of us aren't good enough and all of us need the grace of God. I, that's the starting point. All of us need God to intervene on our behalf. All of us need him. All of us need the atonement of Jesus. Grace doesn't require us to be good enough. Grace requires nothing from us. It's given to us from him. And so all of us fear that. The message is Christ is greater. Do you know all of us feel fa fear failure? All of us fear failure. Look at this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he said, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. How could you be courageous if you weren't a little bit scared? For a little nervous. If you didn't think it was going to work out, how, how could you be strong? How, why would you need to be courageous if, if you weren't scared? You know, all of us are called to live by what? All right, all of us are called by faith, which means that the element of the unknown, meaning we're going to have to take a little bit of risk. We're not going to have it all figured out. And the only way to, to do this is to really trust God and, and be okay. Meaning all of us need to have our prayer saying, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to fail. What would it look like if you walked boldly for the world in your prayers before you did something? Let's say maybe volunteered in church, maybe got up here and preached. You know how many times I say, God, if you don't show up today, it's going to be a disaster. Some of y'all are saying, Brian, you need to pray that a little bit more, okay? <laughs> saying, God, if, if you don't show up today, it's, not gonna, it, it's, it's going to be bad. What would it look like if you really said, God, I need you to show up in this? Instead of not doing something because you're afraid of failing, what if you just invited him to, to come along with you and do it for you and do it through you? Do you know all of us fear that we're not gifted enough or good enough? You know, it's not just you. All of us fear we're not gifted enough and we're not good enough. First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter says, all of us have been given a gift, and we should use that gift to serve others. Now, does Peter say, the verse is right there, does he say, only use the gift if you feel that you're amazing and awesome at it? Yeah, all of us have been given a gift to serve and help other people. You and I both have been given that. And so this idea of not being good enough or not, give, not being gifted enough, I told you this from personal, I almost didn't become a preacher because of it. The pastor I used to hear preaching, I mean, he was so amazing. I've told you the story before. He was so amazing and so good, he scared me. And I said, if that's what I have to do, I can't do it. God, if that's what I'm supposed to be like, I can't do it. And I literally thought about quitting before I even got started because I was so scared I wasn't good enough. Some of us has never got started serving the Lord or ministering for the Lord because we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we're gifted enough. We think that's for other people. That's not what Peter says. He says that all of us have been given a gift from the Lord. We don't wait till we're good. We just start serving people. And will it get better over time? I hope so. I really do. I hope so. It will. You know, the more you do anything, the better you get at it. And you know all of us? All of us fear what others will say about us. 
All of us struggle with that, wanting to be liked. Some of us, some of us really live for the approval of other people. And did you know not everybody's going to like you? That's a hard thing, though, isn't it? Chuck, you don't think everybody likes Chuck? Yeah, I don't think so. I know at least one person who doesn't care for him too much right now. But listen, we can't live for other people's approval. And you know this. Some of you struggle with this, and it's okay, but I want, I want to show you something. John 12, 42 says this. It says, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. Talking about whom? Believed in whom? Jesus, right. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogues. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. How sad. They couldn't live, they couldn't serve because they were worried about what other people were going to say. They worried how their faith was going to impact their, their businesses, their churches. They worried about what it would do to their social life. Like, I can't share my faith because other people may, may think this way about me. And so they live for the praise of people rather than the praise of God because they were afraid. I pray that's not you this morning. When you understand that you are a child of God and that you are important and significant because of Christ, then you won't let these fears stop you. These insecurities stop you not good enough, or not gifted enough, or not smart enough, or what other people may say about me, or, well, that you're just too big of a sinner. When, when you understand that in Christ, you're significant because of him, then you can walk boldly because he loves you. And so I ask you this morning, who are you living for? Or what are you living for? Whose opinion really matters? You know, a long time ago, I settled that the one thing, my goal in life, my personal mission statement in life, is that I really desire to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, I really want to hear that. I long and desire to hear that from my Lord. Well done. Can you imagine? And so whose opinion really matters to you? Who are you trying to impress? What are you doing that you know you shouldn't because it's not heading in the right direction, but you have those friends or you have those people? Or perhaps what are you wasting money on that really doesn't matter? So I'm going to share this verse with you. It's Galatians 1.10. And this is Paul. He says it like this. He says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? Or of God? Or am I trying to please people? I love how he finishes this for us. He says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you know you have to make a, church, a choice? And what I've learned down here is a little different than from the north, is there's this cultural thing, this, this not upsetting people and 
and pleasing people. And you have any idea what I'm talking about? Do I need to keep probing? Do you live for pleasing people or pleasing Christ? See, O'Brien, can't they be the same thing? Evidently, Paul's saying they're different. Evidently, something has to be the most important thing. Evidently, there's going to be times in our lives where decisions we make and things we want to do and places we want to go and are going to be at odds with the approval of people. Maybe our family, maybe our friends, especially our friends. Are we trying to live to get their approval? Are we trying to please them or are we trying to please God? Paul said, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, in light of who Christ is, in light of who you are in Christ, you can make decisions to live for him. You can be bold. Because you know that at the end of the day, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what anybody else thinks, you got a dad who loves you, who is proud of you, who gets excited when you talk to him and says, hey, I got you, and you have an inheritance waiting, all of that stuff. You got an inheritance waiting for you in glory. And so today I just hope that you make a decision to stand firm in the faith, to embrace your identity as a child of God and courageously live for him. So just a question of reflection as we go into this time and we're gonna sing a song together. I just ask if you really believed who God, who, if you really believed God, if you really believed you are who he says you are, what would your life look like? If you really believe that you are a child of God and that you're significant and you matter and he's proud of you and you're secure in him, what would your life look like? What would you be willing to do? What would you try? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to you, in prayer, and we just think about the fact that we are your children. We've been adopted because of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for that. Father, I pray that your spirit will just encourage those who are struggling this morning. More encourage them to follow you boldly. There are going to be people who are faced with big decisions this week. Decisions to veer off the path that you have for them and walk towards with their friends or their boyfriend or their girlfriend or that other person or that coworker or that manager might ask them to do. And Father, we pray that they can stand boldly for you. Father, there may be some here today who don't know you, who've never given you their life, and they're hearing about this idea of a, a father who loves them and cares. And Father, if they're here this morning, will you just draw them close? If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that's the first step. And I'd love to talk with you as, as long as you need about that. But Father, those who, who don't know you, Father, pull them closer. Allow them to be boldly, walk boldly, and make a decision for you this morning. Father, we thank you so much that through Christ, we're your children and that you love us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.